Everybody's ready to do an audio test, an audio test. Doing lots of tests uh, for the audio mouth. It's a voice and he uses all of his neck to make a sound with his neck. It's an audio voice. He does a little test with an audio noise. He makes sounds. much louder than I expected. Hell Sorry yeah. for you listening at home. I Now my cool, dumb intro I was going to do is ruined because that hurt my ears. <laughs> you could always start the show by apologizing. Yeah, I'm sorry. That's usually how it's I okay. start things. I'm, I'm not. Some of the best podcasts start with an apology. It's yeah. True. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'd like to apologize to my girlfriend who oh. told me it took my dog a long time to pee today. So she had to take a long lunch break. It, really? Yeah. Isn't that her dog too? It is, but... Yeah, did you, did you feed your dog for? too much yeah. water? Probably. He wasn't oh. drinking much water yesterday, so we like put chicken broth in the water uh-huh. and drink more. I just realized I, I said too much water on an IGN show, and that's that summons demons. Anyway, oh, yeah. we'll move on from that. Welcome to Beyond Episode 583. My name is Jonathan Dornbush. I am your host. I am joined by Max Scoville. Howdy. And Brian Altano. Beyond! I had a weird dream about you, Jonathan. What? I'm not even kidding. This was a weird dream. I'm not even going to try to pretend this isn't incredibly strange. Okay. You, in order to sort of ring in this new era of Beyond, uh, showed up to record in a really horrible Crash Bandicoot costume. (laughs) (laughs) And it was really awful because it was like one of those, you know, those like the mascot type, like shitty Ruby's costumes where they have like you know, big, like, fake foam pants or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. It was like that for, like, the jorts and the torso, but his head was just like like a small like pullover mask so it just looked it looked awful it was nightmarish i i wouldn't put it past me to do that so. i mean yeah we made yeah. you wear like a spyro muscle tee one time yeah that's true i yeah. still i still own it so thanks for not wearing a crash bandicoot costume anytime but i am dreaming about making the show so i guess yeah. we're having fun doing it i guess it. it's going well then yeah uh this week we're going to talk quite a bit about news we also have an interview Coming up later in the show with Eka from Outer Loop Games to talk about Falcon Age. Uh, that game looks awesome. Coming to PSVR, right? PSVR, and you can play it just on a PS4 if you don't own VR, so it's fully playable in either way. Oh, I did not know yes, that. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, we the, just we just interviewed him about, but we didn't talk about that. Yes, Max. we did. He said no, that. Yes, we didn't. Did. No, no, he corrected me. I was like coming exclusively to PlayStation VR, and you were like zoning out and staring at the, <laughs> I don't know, the wall or something. It's a great wall. It's a good one. It's a pretty solid wall. Uh, we're going to be talking about a lot more, but first, let's get into this week's news crunch. Crunch. <laughs> is it growing on you guys? What's it is. That, what's up with that like sexy the guitar, horn? the is twang? A, what is that the, instrument? First of all, which part of that? Oh, that part at the beginning. Crunch. <laughs> why, why is the news crunch so horny? I, it's it's sort of like a, it's like that. a Jimi Hendrix guitar. It's a weird mix of things. It's me making an apple crunching noise, and then, then like that 1920s sort of stoop orphan yelling. <laughs> stoop orphan. Stoop orphan? Yeah. You know, like a kid that lives on the steps. Hey, Arnold Stoop kid, but he's <laughs> from the 1920s. Wow. Uh, so in this week's News Crunch, first thing I want to talk about is the fact that we are currently in a lawsuit with Sean Murray for taking our name for the next expansion of No Man's Sky. Yes. Yeah. Uh, we have our lawyers pursuing him right now uh, because they announced No Man's Sky Beyond. Mm-hmm. Uh, so basically going forward, as they have for the last year or so, uh, No Man's Sky now gets big new updates rather than like incremental little things. Yeah, and uh, they are the hearing focus. from our lawyers. And yeah, let's see how soon. that goes uh, after the non-success of uh, Star Trek Beyond and uh, yep. Beyond Two Souls. and We've really sunk everything yeah. else that wasn't named Beyond. It's, beyond. If think about it. There's a surprising amount of video games, PlayStation games specifically, that have the word Beyond in the title. I think there's actually been one per generation, which is really odd. So technically it predates this show, but I shouldn't say that 
um, in court. I like that every episode of the show on YouTube has in the bottom uh, a, a link to go buy Beyond Two Souls. <laughs> it's like we're sponsored the by them every week, mm-hmm. and yeah. it's like, well, oops. And they're currently available on PS4. That's right. Uh, anyway, moving on, No Man's Sky Beyond uh, will have essentially three really big components to it. The only one we know about so far is No Man's Sky Online, which includes a, quote, radical new social and multiplayer experience which empowers players everywhere in the universe to meet and play together. Uh, but they aren't calling that a traditional MMO in any way. Right. Uh, so it'll have a lot of recognizable online elements. There will be no subscription price for it, uh, and it won't feature any microtransactions and will simply be a free update to all No Man's Sky players. Uh, so that's the first aspect of Beyond that we know about. There are going to be two more going forward. Uh, I know we've talked about No Man's Sky here and there on the show before. Mm-hmm. Does the initiative from last year with No Man's Sky Next and now No Man's Sky Beyond really like emphasizing this multiplayer aspect, which I think a lot of people wanted more from the start and took them forever to get to, does that incentivize you guys to ever return to the game? Have you returned to it with Next? Or I did return last time with Next, um, and I dug it. I played it for a little while, and I'm totally into I, I think that like while the game's not really for me anymore, um, I'm really excited that this exists as a sort of a redemption story for the studio. I think that they'll never, ever, ever truly escape, and I mean ever, they'll never be able to make a game again without being able to truly escape like the sort of the big charade around the initial release of, of No Man's Sky to begin with because people had expectations and those expectations were based on promises that frankly, you know, didn't really come into play. But they didn't give up. You know, Sean Murray went radio silent for like a year or so. Like he didn't talk to anybody and people got refunds. People were, you know, un, you know, incredibly angry and justifiably so in some ways. But ultimately that is a, a game that just kept growing and kept proving itself and the fact that it like when the name pops up now it was look i was looking at the response on twitter just to see like what's the thermometer on this right now and most people were like this is awesome you know so i think a lot I of mean, people's anger is is gone about time yeah um it sucks because like that game was definitely underwhelming at launch but like clearly they've made good on a lot of maybe not the promises but the the potential like they've i mean it's it seems a lot sort of akin to minecraft um which was sort of like that launched as a what like a thirty twenty dollar thing where it yep. was like oh you can get it and try and it's not done yet but it's out there and you can get it and see what happens and then years later it's still adding content uh the difference is that wasn't announced on some massive uh you know first party stage basically yeah um and i mean with no man's sky also like i think that if you're really close to this um you know gaming culture and everything and you and you are you know, following the news and all like the hot releases and everything, then obviously there's this sort of association of what that was like at launch. But I think if you're somebody who's just sort of, you know, is more loosely aware of games, like maybe not even a casual player, but somebody who picks up one game and kind of, you know, finds what they're into. I know a bunch of people who are like, like weird sort of almost like former gamers who like don't have a ton of time for stuff, but for whatever reason, a handful of them really latched onto No Man's Sky. Yeah. I think a lot of people who work in scientific fields really like it. Yeah. Um, Cause it is sort of like, it's not about, it's not about like straight combat or like grinding or anything. It's kind of like, Oh, you're going to, you get to be spaceman spiff or whatever you can mm-hmm. fuck around. Um, There's a lot it really did deliver on. And that was the idea of like flying into space, landing on a random planet, having it procedurally generated and showing you a bunch of like weird nightmarish monsters that you've never seen before Mm -hmm. and those got memed you know like people latched onto a lot of parts of that where uh there were like the promise of that game was that you would fight dinosaurs and stuff but then some levels just had like you know weird tall tree chickens (laughs) and 
they look stupid, but that's the that's the role of the dice that was playing that game. A lot of the sort of you know universe connectivity stuff and like finding other players and stuff, they didn't deliver on that. And it's cool that they're slowly getting to where they need to be with all that. Um, but I, I I don't blame people who bailed on it. I'm also really happy that the studio didn't just stay hiding under a blanket for three years and they just keep improving it. Yeah, I think um, it sucks that this because of sort of the size of the controversy around it uh gets sort of treated like one of those kickstarters that doesn't live up to its promises yeah. but no like they're still updating it they're mm-hmm. still pushing free updates and it's sort of i don't know it's a sort of frustrating and yeah i mean i feel like if i wasn't like if i wasn't more rooted to like current games this might be the kind of thing i'd screw around in yeah, I had this, like an eight-year-old kid, I'd 100% be like, all right, go to space. Yeah, this yeah. absolutely feels like a thing where like, if we were not needing to keep up with every new game for our jobs, I would totally like jump in and just fly around for you know an hour. Yeah, build it. a yeah. fort. Yeah, exactly. There's a lot of potential, and like you guys were saying, I'm really happy to see that they didn't just let it die off, that yep. they really did stick to it and show the promise that this game could fulfill. Mm-hmm. Uh, and obviously, the audience is there for it. Yeah, that's that's the actually coolest part about this, that there's obviously enough people still chipping away at it where they can just give this big free update and have people still excited for it. And you're, Max, you're totally right. This is not a Mighty Number no. 9 situation. This is not like one of those games that like you go, oh, this is, you know, we we paid for this and, you know, you promised us all this and then they just walked away forever. Like a lot of those Kickstarter games that are bad never got updated again. Like the, the teams just walked away from them, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's that's really gross. Like, actually, I, I lost a lot of respect for 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 KJ and Afune after that happened with Mighty Number no. Nine. It like made me retroactively look at Mega Man differently, and that's a lot more damning than like you know I couldn't find my friend in No Man's Sky that that first year. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think that as far as what No Man's Sky is was so much more of like an unknown quantity and everyone let their expectations and imaginations run away. Whereas if a Kickstarter thing is like, it's like Mega Man, but without the license. Yeah. And you're like, Oh, I don't know. You know, (laughs) I do think that no man's sky was that perfect balance of, uh, sort of audience having larger than life expectations. And then the developers of it over promising and under delivering like that Mm -hmm. is, that was not, I think everybody, everybody was a little involved in that being a disappointment. Yeah. I mean, I remember when I first saw it, um, I was I was blown away, uh, partially because of I think the sort of transparency with which they gave the demo, mm-hmm. um, which was very much like kind of like you know lifting up the curtain and being like, here's what's going on behind the scenes. This is all procedural. It's and it's like it's a kind of thing now where I think I think if you show that to people who make games, they're like, I, yeah, I understand how and why that works. Uh, you know, it's all just it's all math, but it's it's not even just that. It's like how you dress it up. It's how you kind of you know disguise it. Uh, and I want to say that that's probably part of the reason that they've been so sort of um, open with the development of Beyond Good and Evil 2 because that's clearly using some of the same sort of bells and whistles and like you know promising the same level mm-hmm. of like scale yeah. uh, but to, you know as opposed to having uh, you know an incredible huge E3 trailer and then being like it'll be out you know soon you know hang tight well look at something like Anthem that just under delivered at launch I, w- I would say and um, mm-hmm. although when I talk to some people about it they're like I played it for 70 hours it didn't under deliver for me and I'm like totally I get that but um the devs got sort of in hot water recently because people were like, oh, you mentioned all these things along the development cycle and those didn't materialize in the final game. And the devs were like, that was us being transparent about the dev cycle. And that doesn't necessarily imply that everything will be in the final version. Mm-hmm. And like, I, I, we're all creative people. I think I I respect that to a degree. Like if I tweet out like 30 seconds of a song I'm working on and it doesn't end up on my next project, like... 
obviously much, much, much smaller scale audience there because I'm not developing a AAA video game with a $60, you know, entry fee. But that's a weird thing, right? Where it's like, you do want the exposure of the creative process, but that makes us as an, as an audience sort of enthusiastically latch onto the idea that we are now immediately guaranteed that content. And sometimes you just make shit along the way. I mean, look at uh, look at Rogue One, right? Look at yeah. the trailers for that game or for that movie. Like, it, they're completely different than the final version of the movie. Like, there are so many times that happens, even Infinity War. Yeah, well, right? and the directors of Infinity War and Endgame even said, like, yeah, we manipulate that stuff. Yep. We know that, yep. like, you're expecting this sort of thing. And so we changed that. But, yeah, the, as you're saying, like, it is weird on that scale and it's not something we're necessarily used to in games yet because like games as a service and games being so continually updated on such a wide array yeah. of them. We're not used to that being a foundational part of the industry. But yeah, like that is part of that creative process and part of a huge project like that. Things right. are not going to always be. And with the Russo brothers, they're like, this is intended manipulation to throw you off the scent of what we're doing because we want a big surprise. Like they put out these things, these they screen caps of these letters that are like, hey, be nice, don't spoil anything, <laughs> which I, I, I appreciate that. But in video games, they they don't really show you stuff to throw you off the trail. Because why would they do? I that? mean, they do, but it's in the form of like completely pre-rendered, you know, trailers. Yeah, it's and it, yes. or you know, or stylized screenshots with the HUD turned off, and you're like, well, what am I looking at? You know, mm-hmm. and it's funny because you look at like really old video game marketing, and it would just be like incredible illustrations. Uh, there was a wave of like awesome like hand animated or like live action uh, commercials for like Super Nintendo games. Oh God, yeah. And you're like, this is really cool, but what am I looking at? You yep. know? Yeah. Like what's um, the actual game here? Yeah, I mean, I have old comics that have ads for like Atari games on the back pages and they don't even have screenshots. They have drawings of approximations of screens. Mm-hmm. Like they are hand-drawn pictures of Atari sprites and it's just like- Hand-drawn bull shots. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you're like, what What was that supposed to be if it was even on the screen? I don't know. No one knows what that is. You just got to kind of use your imagination. Yeah. Um, but it makes you understand why you know a company like Rockstar will keep something so buttoned up and so airtight and be like you know they don't you know they'll put out a trailer and they're like this is running an engine we promise and people will still go over with a fine tooth comb yep. and be like the tree is different well, you're robbers mm-hmm. <laughs> and something like No Man's Sky really was a victim of those initial ambitious trailers yep. and Sean Murray's explanations of what those trailers were intending and the maths that they discussed of like the infinite number of worlds and you get beautiful things you also get the amazing perfect video of the jurassic park yeah. weird walking to yeah so, the, the tree chicken or whatever do you think they could have like saved themselves a lot of trouble if like a month or two before launch they were like hey we have an announcement we tried all this stuff it didn't work um so it won't be there at launch if you want to go back to gamestop and get your five bucks back feel free to but we like we're confident that like you know, the game we're delivering at launch is like very good and it's going to mm-hmm. keep growing it's the from first there. step. I think yeah. that so much of the hype sort of surrounding that that we I mean, that we're guilty of sort of like of perpetuating was because we saw like a closed behind closed doors demo and it was wonderfully intimate and wonderfully like, here's what we're looking at. Here's what you know, it wasn't like buddy buddy with Sean Murray, but it was like kind of this feeling of being like, oh, I, I understand what you're what you're trying to achieve, what you're trying to make. And I think if they'd taken that approach with their audience, with with people who are actually a part of it. Uh, and we're like more transparent about the development. It could have been, it could have kind of, you know, sidestepped some of that that expectation versus reality. Um, but at the same time, there's also really we haven't figured out a right way to launch a, a massive online game like this. And we're seeing this, um, you know, seeing this with games like Anthem, with Destiny, with I guess it looks like Division was off to a pretty good launch. Launched though. pretty solidly. Um, mm-hmm. And then I mean, but it's like you're still trying to find that that perfect balance. Um, and you know, the, some some games like Battlefront Two was a was a, a complete 
a complete mess of a launch <laughs> uh, because it launched sort of light on content. And they were like, but we promise there's no paid DLC. And everyone's like, there's loot boxes. And that was a, a, a wreck. And then now no one's talking about that game. But like, what, a year and a half later, it's a pretty complete game that mm-hmm. you can get for like $8. They're still updating it. They're still, yeah. they're still adding yeah. stuff. And it's like they just added Watto. Yeah, perfect. It's not true. There's I believe romance it. options <laughs> with just with, with Watto. Watto. Yeah. There's an entire new campaign. You you play as uh, <laughs> Owen Lars. Yeah. must romance Baru. It's called Watto Girl Wants, and it's yeah. about dating him. That's just not a true. visual novel. It's not in there. Please don't go do that. Anyway, but no, like it's you see. I don't know. Again, it's sort of it, it's controlling the message, and it's you know keeping people's expectations at a reasonable level. And yeah, I mean it's it's really cool to see No Man's Sky. Like continue to update and like make good on this promise. Yeah. Yes, game. yeah, it's yeah, so. yeah, it's heartwarming to see and to see a game come back from what felt like failure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I mean uh, that's the weird game. weird question though. How are they? There are no microtransactions. No, uh, is there paid DLC or no? I, as far as I know, no. I mean, there may be some embedded in the game already, or mm-hmm. like some possible cosmetic thing. Man, are they just doing this out of guilt? Like, are they? <laughs> I mean, they've just been. They promised pretty much like, hey, if you've been playing No Man's Sky, you will mm-hmm. get these games as updates. My guess is like. When they put in those new updates, maybe the game goes back to like a slightly fuller price, or like they yep. won't put it on sale for mm. a little while. Whereas like eight months in, it'll go on sale. One of those things. Yeah, it's actually like it's not. It's sort of a technique that developers use to get a game that they're that they still have sort of a sales boost um, because it's for a lot of people will be their first time getting eyes on that game. And imagine coming into that game for the first time in 2019 with none of the baggage associated with the launch. Um, and none of that weird silent year where they weren't giving interviews or talking, which, by the way, I think, like, made the situation worse, obviously. Like, I mean, on the flip side, you have some devs who are like, they, they come out swinging a, a week after their game disappoints and they say too much and people are like, you made it worse. <laughs> uh, and I think radio silence is, is the worst way to go. So I think, you know, you have to find a good balance in the middle there. But, yeah, this will get this will get attention on their game for the first time for a lot of people and maybe get a bunch of people to, to check it again. You yeah, know? and I'm excited to see what the rest of the update is. Obviously, we'll let you know what those things are once yep. we find out and if we win the lawsuit. Uh, moving Watto's on. in it. What, in the lawsuit? No, he's in oh, No Man's Sky. Watto's in the lawsuit. He's our lawyer. If you, if you have found Watto in No Man's Sky, procedurally generated, mm-hmm. that would send be us impressive. a picture. Yeah, God, I would love that. Uh, moving on to another item. Just wanted to mention, because uh, I always love them, uh, especially in Sony first-party games, Days Gone Photo Mode has been detailed and slash confirmed. Uh, and it's, you know, got the pretty standard fare of different filters and different uh, adjustments you can make and everything. But in the official Sony blog post for the photo mode, they specifically said they have an advanced mode as part of it where you can fine tune up to 55 different settings, including bloom, color grading, color depth, grading panels uh, across all those sorts of fields. They basically worked with the art teams on the game to be like, hey, what do you use and like, what do you edit in your photos and your art and all of that? Okay, let's try to figure out how to put that stuff. So cool! That is so so cool. And Mm -hmm. I love like one of my favorite evolutions of photo modes has been the uh, in Spider Man with the comic book panels and essentially and the covers that you can create your own comic book basically if you want via that game. And I love this is a different like more technical evolution, but I love that they are making these advancements and not just keeping photo mode the same and letting people who really have an eye for this sort of stuff dig into it. Yep. Uh, How do you guys feel about like? Do you guys use photo mode much? Will you like? dig into settings that are that complex does that like push you away from uh, definitely it? yeah i'll I, definitely I love, mess with it i love photo mode i'll totally screw with it like once or twice um i keep being like i'm gonna wait until there's a game that i like really love and do photo mode stuff and then inevitably like the only games that i 
the games that I really love are the ones that have totally rudimentary ones. Like in Yakuza, you have a phone that you can mm-hmm. pull out and you can like awkwardly it's like I'm, a, I'm bad at taking selfies in real life I'm actually worse in the game uh, <laughs> and it's this weird thing where you have to like you have to like position if you're trying to take a picture of something behind yourself like you can't move while you're in the photo mode but if that had like a full blown robust like weird. pause the game anytime move the camera around in the world I would love that yeah. um, I was sort of bummed that Red Dead didn't have a more uh, you know, a more robust photo mode. Yeah, that seems like a given for that yeah. kind of game. Well, it wasn't, they didn't really have very robust cameras photos? back then, yeah. so yeah. Mm-hmm. That's fair. I remember taking some photos in, in Horizons photo mode that were just like, that's such a ridiculously good looking game. Yeah. Just like to the point where you could like drop the camera down in like, uh, in some weeds, like facing up at the sky and I'm like, this is the most beautiful photo I've ever taken. Yeah. But I mostly screw around in photo mode. Like I remember when uh, the recent Tomb Raider game came out, I was like, I went into that. Lara goes into that village with all those oh, dudes, yeah. and they just have like basically no clothes on. And I put the camera like right up this dude's ass, and was sending pictures to Max. Yeah, that's <laughs> I'm like, true. You were that's fun. And there was like that llama in there where I made it look oh, like they the were llama. kissing. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Uh, no, it's it's that's my favorite thing is just to do really goofy stuff. Yep. It's funny because it always pops up in really serious games. Yeah. Like I'm trying to think of any goofball game. I guess Spider Man's the closest we've gotten, but like. I don't know. God of War is pretty heavy. Like, are you in the middle of that like tearjerker story, and suddenly you're just like, "Hold on, hold on, I'm doing pranks, I'm taking mm-hmm. selfies. Yeah. This is going to be silly." Uh, and then, I mean, Days Gone is more of the same. Uh, I wish that there were more opportunities to do like the kind of stuff you'd see with uh, like a level designer. Like, I wish it was possible to basically. I mean, GTA has like movie mo- movie maker mode, right? Uh, which is really cool, but something where you could effectively like create your own, I don't know, web comics or something without just having to use what's immediately in the game in front of you. And yeah, then like cool. save 12 different options in yep. your PlayStation yeah. photos and then upload to your Facebook privately and yeah. then yeah. deal with it there. Yeah. I'm like, I'm getting like pretty excited for this game in terms of like a nice, like sort of chill spring game. I, I hate that I'm calling it chill because it's about like thousands of monsters trying to kill you <laughs> at the same time. But I, I don't know. I love, like I'm, I'm really missing a nice, big, cool, fun open world game right now. Um, Nothing has, like, I played a bunch of Far Cry. I kind of burned myself out on it, and I finished the campaign. Um, and I I dabbled in Crackdown for a little bit, and it didn't really scratch that itch. And I feel like this is going to be, like, I'm going to go for collectibles. I'm going to mess around a lot. It's going to be a fun, just a really fun world to just kind of hang out in and almost die. Yeah, and there's, like, a level of polish that we sort of expect now from Sony First yep. Party and those worlds and, like, the ways that we interact with them. And mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm excited for that, too. It, it weirdly feels like we talked a lot of it about it being sort of like this known quantity of what the gameplay would kind of be or like its in influences and everything. But yep. like, I'm okay looking forward to a known quantity right now. If it's a Me well-made too. known quantity, I could use that right about now. Yeah, feels like. I'm, I think the bike is going to make or break it for me. Yeah. Uh, yeah I mean, the bike right. is totally, we've been seeing this cool thing with first party games where there's almost like this defining mechanic. Uh, and I mean, I, I always think of the sort of the God of War X or like the Spider-Man swinging. Uh, I'm trying to think what the, I mean, the horizon would be sort of the, the dinosaurs and their, their weird different, you know, variations, yeah. how you fight them. But uh, in this one, it's like, if this is, is this going to be, you know, is this going to be the God of War axe or is this going to be like a red dead horse where I'm like, I'm like, yeah, let's time, time to haul ass on my hog. And then I just ride into a tree and it explodes and I'm mm-hmm. like, time to go collect spark plugs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm curious to see how that plays in and how much of an like overbearing need it is to keep track of your bike or versus just how fun it is to ride around the terrain. Luckily we don't have to wait that much longer for it. It comes out at the end of April. Uh, moving on though, for things that are related to currently 
happening game releases. Uh, just to mention very briefly, Lucy's not here, so she can't speak to it as much, but the Apex Legends Battle Pass is out now, uh, and they released the first new hero for it, Octane. Mm -hmm. Obviously, we have a lot of Apex Legends coverage, video coverage, and everything on the yeah, site. Yeah, tons. So if you want to check that out, please do. Of course, you're probably just playing it yourself, mm -hmm. beating me in that game, because I'm very bad at it. Uh, and also moving on, Mortal Kombat 11 got closed beta dates. So that's going to run from Wednesday, March 27th at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern, to Sunday, March 31st. In the This is in the Americas at 11.59 p.m. Pacific or 2.59 a.m. Eastern. Uh, and at various times on Monday, April 1st for the rest of the world. Hey, quick question. Yeah. Did they spell the closed and closed beta with a K? Ooh. Why didn't they call it a betality? Oh, Damn it. Man, we, we should, should go work for Mortal Kombat. We have all sorts <laughs> yeah, of great ideas. Yeah, run the marketing team. Uh, no, sadly, the graphic that I'm looking at just calls it the pre-order access beta. No, there's no fun K. That's not cool Fatality, at all. Yeah. Oh man, a little bit of a bummer. We gave them two great ones right there. Uh, so you guys, hey, Ed Boonality. <laughs> Feel free to steal that if you want. Uh, but the biggest thing I wanted to move on and sort of talk about a little more at length is the as we're recording the announcement earlier today that Google has announced its gaming thing mm -hmm. is not hardware. Yeah, we're really bearing the lead here. That's kind of a huge, huge yeah. piece of news. Uh, we were like talking about No Man's Sky and I'm like, well, there's also Google, but uh, a lot of interesting stuff to talk about there. But yeah, Google has announced Stadia, its platform for gaming, which is not a piece of hardware necessarily, right. but they are also revealing a Google-specific controller. Yep. So essentially, at some point in 2019, they've confirmed it's coming out this year. We don't know price. We don't know exact release date. We don't know launch games or anything like that. Stadia is coming out for Chrome, essentially, enabled devices. It mm -hmm. seems like basically any tablets, uh, phones, uh, laptops, desktops, and TVs either enabled with Chromecast or you have a Chromecast hooked up to it, yeah. will be able to play Stadia. Whether or not that's a like Netflix style subscription service where you buy in for one price and you get a bunch of games or you buy the games individually. We don't know yet. Um, but their whole emphasis on this platform seems to be moving toward the streaming future. Yeah. Right. Which yeah. I think is a pretty huge confirmation that that's what next gen is. Yeah. I mean, we've been sort of scratching our heads being like, what are they going to do next? The third joystick or whatever. And it's like, that's the, that is the biggest bell and whistle you could have. Uh, and I think the big question right now is like, what needs to happen for that to work? Mm -hmm. And the big thing, I don't know. I went on, I went on Twitter and I was like, I'm, I'm annoyed at people who are like, nope, that's not going to work. Move on. And it's like, well, what, why not? And when will it work if it doesn't work right now? Um, and the right. big question obviously is like, is latency, especially for games. Um, cause I mean, having like a, you know, it's funny, we were watching it streaming in, in the office here and several times it hiccuped, yep. you know, and yep. we're like, well, if that was a game, I'd be dead right now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. well, and it's one thing if you're playing a single player game, like they highlighted cause it was in project stream last year, uh, through Chrome Assassin's Creed Odyssey, and they've partnered with Ubisoft. They've partnered with id software, tequila works, uh, and they also started a first party studio run by Jade Raymond. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, there, there are a lot of questions about the technical aspect of it. And that's, I think, like the biggest barrier to entry to will it work. But yeah, I, I've seen a lot of dismissal of like, oh, it's too soon for streaming or like they're not going to be able to make this work. And it's like Google is Google. Like if yeah. they want this to work, they will put the money behind it to make it work. Yeah, I think that like that's what makes this whole scenario so interesting. And, uh, you know, obviously we're talking about this on a PlayStation podcast. PlayStation is the market leader right now. They have sold more consoles than anyone else this gen. Obviously, that's like... That's a weird. It's a weird number because Nintendo has technically had two attempts. <laughs> and Xbox stopped reporting their numbers yeah. years ago when they realized they were insane. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and I think just the fact that they stopped reporting their numbers, you can say, 
with great confidence that they're a fraction as many sold as, as PS4. Um, and we saw an interesting thing this happened this gen for the first time around where the con- console companies not only introduced one hardware SKU, they introduced multiple, right? There is now the Xbox One X, the Xbox One, the Xbox One X, PS4 has the PS4 and the PS4 Pro. All those things are selling very well, right? Um, so this is technically answering a question that's no one, that no one is really asking. But that said, it makes you go, huh, yeah, maybe we are headed that way. Now, we know we've got a confirmation already from Sony that their next thing is is a box-shaped thing, right? We know they are going to make a console. Um, Sean Layden has come out and said before, like, uh, you know, one day it might not be a console. And I, I, I don't know if I can say that without getting <laughs> a bunch of people mad at me. Because, yeah. you know, ultimately we think of video games as these VCR-shaped boxes we put under our TVs that we buy from stores, we buy online, that we put physical media in or load up digital media on and enjoy. And we find out about these things once a year in June out of a dingy convention center in LA. And historically, this has worked. And no one has really come in and disrupted that because we didn't need them to, because we're happy, right? But we also used to ride yellow cabs everywhere and have flip phones. And 15 years ago, the idea of a company like Microsoft coming in and saying, we're gonna make a console, people laughed at that. Mm-hmm. And we have seen, if, you, if you're old like me, you've seen so many rinky-dink-ass video game companies come for the throne. You know, Panasonic and Philips and all these, Ouya, all this shit. These guys come in and they're like, we're gonna do it. None of them have the war chest of something like Google. And the difference is, a lot of those guys were like, sort of like fledgling tech companies that had a couple of strong departments here and there who said, oh, we'll dabble in video games. Microsoft, basically, I don't know if they've actually been profitable on their Xbox division yet. I don't think if they ever really need to because they can make up for it by selling you know, controllers, by selling first-party games, but also by selling Internet Explorer and by selling you know, uh, Microsoft devices everywhere. Like they are, they are everywhere. So for them, video games is a small piece of the pie. Same thing with Google. And that's where people should be like, this isn't just the average company stepping in and going like, we want to disrupt shit. This is, a, this is one of the richest companies on earth. And this is a company that can force and will this into existence and make it something that is, uh, you know, basically impossible mm-hmm. to ignore. It's also, um, I don't know. I mean, I've seen a lot of sort of people being like, this is anti-consumer because you know, you're going to be renting a license for a game from somebody. And it's always online. And I mean, I don't know. There's We've come a long way from games just being a thing on a cartridge you plug into a box right. that you play with wired controllers. And like, I know that people do love ownership of, of things. And it's sort of like, I don't know, it's it's the creeping normalcy of how we consume media. You know, yeah. it's, it totally, it shifts on you. And it's it's weird to be in a sort of, on a, working in a cutting edge field with like a cutting edge medium and have these sort of, I don't know these people clinging to like former ideas of things, and I'm not. I'm not trying to endorse it one way or the other because I'm still sort of. I don't. I don't fully endorse streaming games yet. You know, I haven't experienced them and had them work. But like, there was a point in time where I was like, "No way! I don't want to download a game. I mm-hmm. want a physical game so I can go trade it in." And at the end of the day, like, I still. The only thing that I. The only time I, I want that is if I. If there's no way to return the game, you know, like if I don't, if I buy a physical game, I can be like, I hate this. I will trade it in for something else. And with the digital, you can't really do that. Um, but if you're never really owning it to begin with, and it's all just sort of like, I don't know, it's if it's all like watching movies on Netflix, where you're mm-hmm. like, oh, I pay this flat rate and I get access to all this stuff, you know, kind of like Microsoft Game Pass. Yep. Uh, then there's or, sort of or PlayStation Plus. Yeah. You know, which yeah, is exactly. like which gives you games and then 
takes them away when you stop paying for them. Right. I mean, that's sort of how that works. And it's like, I don't know, it, it feels like there's less, I, I think this all this means is that I'm less likely to finish games than I am now, you know, much like Netflix movies where I'm like, oh, this was sort of free and a weird convoluted well, you way can, of thinking. You can just hop into games and all of that. Yeah, and that's the other it, thing that's really cool. There's, yeah, one of the, like, to me, the most interesting announcement are the features that are part of Stadia, yeah. because at the end of the day, maybe Stadia isn't going to be the best streaming service, or it's not going to be the landmark streaming platform that some other company could create, despite yep. Google's presence. But there are things that they announced that are part of it, both on the design side side and the playing side that to me are like confounding and yeah. also like game changing in a way. And I think one of the biggest ones I want to talk about, and if you think other companies like PlayStation or Xbox should adopt this, is a sharing feature that they have yep. that you can essentially, uh, who with designers who have enabled this in their games, you can pinpoint any moment you're playing in a game, pause at that moment and produce a link. And that link lets anyone else who wants to grab that link play at that exact moment in that exact save state of your game. It's incredible. That's, that's yeah. the really exciting part of this. Yeah. Um, and the fact that they have, like, everyone's, you know, fretting over the the bandwidth and the, the physical limitations of the actual data moving around. Like, we need fiber optics or 5G or whatever to make this work, and satellites aren't fast enough, so we need more satellites or whatever, the, whatever it is. Uh, but the thing that's really cool is sort of the ideas that are at play, and it's stuff like that. And it's also the fact that this wouldn't be limited to one to like one platform. This would be kind of in the same way that if you're watching Netflix at home and you're like, oh, time to go to work and you take your phone and suddenly the thing you're watching on your phone just resumes. Yeah. And that works. Yep. That's a thing that we totally have seen like, oh, that's how that goes now. And some of the things you can download locally and keep on your phone or whatever. I don't know what the game equivalent of that is. And it's really exciting to think about it. We're not there yet. We're yeah. getting there. But the other thing is like, uh, you know, Google doesn't have the you know, we don't have the, the the internet infrastructure, but they do have the virtual infrastructure. Mm -hmm. um, they have all of, for better or for worse, they have YouTube there. Um, and if it's one of those things where you're watching your favorite YouTuber, you know, goof around in a game and you're like, I would like that game. And you just slap at your screen and suddenly you're playing that game. That's, at that exact point they were playing, you can yeah, do, right? yeah, from the streamer, that's or so the cool. streamer can invite you into their game yep. or you can that's set up. bonkers. Yeah, like there are so many... Sharing and streaming and develop they showed another development tool where it was like you can essentially input through machine learning an image and that image will then create the art design of a level. So like they put in Starry Night mm -hmm. and the world overtook a like Starry Night look or they put in Pac-Man and everything looked like Pac-Man or yep. it looked like the aha take on me video because they put that image in and like the whole intent there is to then allow the creators to like have a blanket slate to work with already produced and then they can go in and fine tune exactly what they want mm -hmm. you don't have to worry about the base creation of things and i think the real question is like if you look at the ps5 how much of this are they tinkering with right now well, how many of these ideas while still shipping a traditional media box you know i i wouldn't be surprised if we saw playstation now get usurped by something that's more like more. I think they would just rebrand it and make it seem shiny and new. Mm -hmm. um, but I mean, Sony bought Gaikai back in what, like 2013 or something? Yeah, it's been a while. It's been a while, and yeah. clearly they're pushing that stuff around back there. And I mean, we're a bunch of like you know armchair quarterbacks being like, no, the infrastructure isn't ready yet for 4K, 60, low latency, whatever. Like we don't know what the hell we're talking about. They have people who know very much what the hell they're talking. They're about. They're building it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> mm -hmm. They're the ones who are like, you know, they're probably like, okay, well. Should we let Google screw up first and see what they did wrong and yep. sit on it till then? Uh, Microsoft is probably doing the same thing. Uh, Nintendo is probably having their parents set up their first AIM account. I don't know what they're doing <laughs> over there. Uh, and then there's you know the other sort of elephants in the room is like you've got you've got Apple. Um, what are what are they going to do with games? They're starting right. to dabble in streaming entertainment. It's just I don't know. It's just weird to see uh, 
it's it's weird to see such a huge player throw their hat so publicly into the ring. Uh, and also, like this wasn't an E3 press conference. This was them speaking to game developers. Yes, yeah. but this was a GDC ass GDC. And, and they said they're going to have a an event in the summer, mm-hmm. which like probably right before or after E3, I would assume. Just do it at E3. There's a bunch yeah. of open slots right now. Oh, yeah, there's plenty of press conferences. I mean, empty theaters. This, <laughs> this reminds me less of something like a huge console announcement and more like sort of the the reveal of the Oculus. Yeah. Um, you know, which maybe isn't, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's there wherever there is. I yep. don't think it's really trying to compete with video games in a conventional sense, but they got scooped up by Facebook and then it sort of, started the ball rolling on Sony making PSVR and Microsoft doing, uh, what is it, the uh, smart glass. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's like suddenly we have these things that are in motion because everyone's sort of competing with each other. And that's exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel like it's going to cause a lot of change and maybe cause some adjustments for whatever PlayStation and Xbox we're going to do. Like we do know that streaming is important to them, Yeah, especially Xbox with uh, Project X Cloud and obviously their like intent of play anywhere and all those things. Like obviously these things matter to them, but it seemed like they were moving at a slower pace than Google wants to move. Yep. And it just takes one massive company to move things in that direction. To- yeah. And we haven't directly said it. So I will state this. Yes, obviously most of the world does not have the internet speed infrastructure to support this. Yes. Now that we've said that, the idea is that eventually they will. And that is, I would say, a, a sort of utopia we're heading towards, or a dystopia, depending on how you use the internet um, or how much you see of it, because um, it's actually mostly not great. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's that's another thing. Is like I see this thing where it's like, who is you know who is this for? And it's like, well, it's 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 kind of the the trickle down effect. It's, yeah. it's it's for a handful of early adopters who help sort of iron out the wrinkles and check stuff out. But like, I, I'm I work here. I don't have a 4K TV yet. I, I probably should get one, but at mm-hmm. the same time, like I don't know, like that's uh, that's out of my budget right now, you know. And it's like that's I do have I do have VR, which is another story entirely. Right. Uh, and then I mean, on the, the sort of internet speed level, like we live uh, I don't know an hour from Silicon Valley, and internet here still sometimes sucks. Oh yeah. You know? yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a mess. There's a William Gibson quote, which is the future is already here. It's just not that evenly distributed. Yeah. Which I think is applicable to really any kind of technology. Um, there's also the Kevin Costner quote, if you build it, they will come. That's true. true. Which is, if you look at a lot of people, I saw a lot of people in the Midwest. The main two tech yeah, quotes. The big tech, the big two. Um, where a lot of people in the Midwest were like, my internet is nowhere near ready for this yet. And it's like, yeah, it's not. But also, your internet provider hasn't had a fire under their ass to really get their shit to be better for you. Well, and also Google makes Google Fiber. Yeah. And they are pushing that more and they have an incentive to want to spread that mm-hmm. as much as possible if people then adapt. This it's it's this weird, like it so extends beyond like the PlayStation, Xbox, Nintendo conversation. Because yep. at the end of the day, like we look at mega corporations like Google and Amazon and Apple and Disney on the entertainment side, like trying to shore themselves up for the long term and to be in every aspect of your life. Yeah. And that's what this feels like is Google wants to be in another part of your life. This is a company that says we want to make a car that can go 200 miles an hour and we also want to make the highway. Yeah. Like, and that's where a lot of other companies sort of fall apart because they go, we only make the highway, we only make the car. You know, like Nintendo is basically, they are reactive and Sony and Xbox to whatever internet speeds are available to them. You know, they can only work with those with those measures. And Google has that ability to change the world again, for better or worse. I, I still think that like, like they are, uh, you know, occasionally nefarious as fuck company. Uh, if you look at their ad revenue, most of it comes, or you look at their their income, most of it does come from ads. Uh, and so the ultimate goal here is 
not to get cynical, but is to mine your personal data for brands <laughs> and companies to find out about. And so that's kind of gross. Um, I do think, and I've said this on every show, and I will continue to say this, that we need to slowly, as gamers, relinquish the understanding that we have of ownership over things uh, in the same way we did with music and TV and movies and everything. How little by little our gigantic shelves of plastic boxes has now been truncated into a few apps that mostly work really well. Um, Netflix, I, before I got on a flight yesterday, I downloaded like four movies on bad hotel Wi-Fi. It just works. I get on my plane and I have like a, a movie theater. You know, Spotify lets you do the same thing. I don't know if this will allow you to do anything like that, but I mean, being able to jump on a plane with a bunch of games downloaded on my phone, like who knows, yeah. right? Who knows? We'll, mm-hmm. we'll see where this goes. But um, either way, I think this is really awesome because it's sort of our first glimpse of where next gen could go. And I'm really interested to see what Sony does in response. And knowing that they are planning to launch in 2019. I still think PS5 and Xbox 2 are going to be in 2020. Yeah. But it, it'll be interesting to see how they respond mm-hmm. to this sort of announcement. Uh, obviously, we'll be covering so much of whatever happens with Google and the next gen for Xbox and PlayStation here. But before we talk about anything else, I'm going to throw to my interview with Eka from Outer Loop Games to talk about Falcon Age. I'm joined today by Eka from Outer Loop Games. How are you doing? Good. How are you doing? Great to have you here. Thank, Thank you so you. much for being here. Uh, you, of course, are working on Falcon Age, which is coming out soon for PS4 and PSVR. Correct. Uh, you currently don't have an exact date on that, right? No, but it'll be very soon. <clears throat> awesome. Depending I, on when this goes. Uh, it, like, it'll be before, probably. Okay. It, it goes up tomorrow. Okay. So It'll be after that. Okay. Good to know. Uh, so the game is coming at some point soon. Uh, obviously, we, the Beyond community, there are a lot of huge PSVR fans, and this game is compatible in both PSVR and PS4. You could just play it without a headset, correct? Correct. Uh, but for those who may not know it or maybe have just seen a really adorable GIF or two on Twitter, can you give me sort of like an encapsulation of the game? Sure. Falcon Age. It's called Falcon Age. Let's yes. start there. <laughs> uh, essentially, you learn to become a falconer um, set in this desert planet, and it has a kind of a sci-fi setting. Um, and this planet, you're a native of this planet, and it's been colonized by these robot colonizers that have been there for generations. So the game starts with you, Ara is the main character's name. She's in a colonizer prison, and she meets this baby falcon. <laughs> and with, with her help, they break out. And then you meet up with your auntie, who runs the resistance um, against the colonizers, and you end up running missions and learning to become a falconer over time. What was the genesis for the falcon aspect of that game because that's like a relationship i would never necessarily think of but when i've seen the gifts and the gameplay bits of it it like oh i get the gameplay aspect of this so instantly right so as a team as outer loop this is our first vr game psvr game but as a team this is our third vr game mm-hmm. so we did a game called wayward sky which is like a third person action adventure game uh, which was a psvr launch title and then another one called dino frontier which was a, a god city building kind of <laughs> game. You're building a western town surrounded by dinosaurs. So instead of dogs, it's dinosaurs. So we're, as we're thinking about for the next title, I was you know look at random things and um, YouTube had this clip of a golden eagles attacking uh, mountain goats. You, it's an, oh wow! It's you'll find it. <laughs> Just look for uh, golden eagle attacking mountain goat, and you'll find okay. it. And it's essentially <laughs> golden eagles are massive. I had no idea. Uh-huh. So they pick up a mountain goat. And it's kind of too heavy, and they drop it and kill it. And I was like, okay, that's interesting. So I started doing research about e- eagles and falcons and falconry. And, and then they kind of, I was like, oh, this could be interesting in VR. So we prototyped it. I down, we use Unity, mm-hmm. um, as I think most, a lot of developers do. So I, we just downloaded some really crappy models and, <laughs> and 
just really roughed it out. And the first time in the game to to call the bird, to call the falcon to your arm, you whistle for it. So you put your hand close to your mouth or close to the headset, pull the trigger. It, it plays a whistle sound. Oh, okay. And the bird hovers around in the distance, and then it comes in. So just seeing that scale change in VR was the first time was was magical. I was like, mm. okay, I think we have something here. <laughs> and. In terms of that like relationship as it grows, I do want to get into the game because I think a lot of people, when they see something on Twitter from it, think, oh, it's just like a falcon carrying simulator or something right. like that. Uh, and obviously there's a lot more to the game just from this, the, the description excuse me, you were giving. Yeah. But in terms of that falcon aspect, what, so what is your relationship as the game goes on with the falcon? Like, How does that uh, apply to the gameplay, the story? All the right. It's, it's not exactly a falcon simulator. It's yeah. an action adventure game. If you think of a game like a Firewatch, it's that scale of a world. Um, single player, very story driven, four to six hour experience, but there's sandboxy elements in between it. Um, the Falcon growing is is a, is a story based thing. So oh, okay. at one point it's a baby, and then it gets a little, gets a little better flying, and then mm-hmm. becomes an adult over time. Um, so the abilities as a baby bird to adult bird are a little different, and the, and the bird's obviously bigger. Um, and when we start play testing it, showing it off publicly. People really res- resonate with the baby bird. So as, as sort of a reaction to that, we put in a hat in the game. At any point, you can turn the big bird into a small bird or vice versa. Keep it back to the baby that everyone yeah. sort of fell in love with. That. Right, right. And that's, I think, you know, when I play Pokemon games, I like the <laughs> baby Pokemon. Yeah, oh, yeah. They're always yeah. cuter when they're not yeah. giant, massive, like, right. hulking monsters. How... um. So what is that repertoire? There are a lot of items in the game that you right. can interact with the bird. Uh, are those mostly just for fun little items? Did they play into the puzzles and the missions that you're on? Right. What's so the scope of there's, there's combat, there's hunting, there's craft. You make uh, falcon snacks. There's a cooker <laughs> that you find, you know, different fruit and veggies and uh, uh, rabbit meat and things that you hunt. Oh, okay. Combine them into And there's recipes in the game. So Okay. You won't uh, accidentally poison the bird. Right, hopefully. right. It has to be a valid recipe. So, okay, good. Um, <laughs> some of the recipes and some of the food will give it health. Or okay. give it uh, a stealth ability, mm-hmm. or more defense and things like that. So when you're in combat situations, it'll it's like it's like in Zelda a little bit where you make different uh, food and it gives you abilities. So. Yeah, um, there's a lot of cosmetic items like top hats and bowler hats <laughs> and things like that and uh, scarves. But um, the game it, it's it's set up in a way where it's, you can walk around anywhere you want. So there's certain areas that are just player paced. Oh, okay. So you can walk around, go hunt, just hang out, pet the bird. As, as we show in the game, people just sit around and pet the bird for 10 minutes. It's yeah. Like, okay, you can do that. And there's areas that are more hostile. So there's colonizer refineries that you have to go and try to reclaim. Okay. And those are going to be more combat heavy. Okay. And there's certain areas that have, like, for example, landmine air, landmine field. And you can't get past it till someone uh, in town makes a, a, a falcon item, oh, okay. and, like a sonar or backpack. And now the bird can be a, a mind detector <laughs> that's pretty useful yeah my dog uh who he's still a young puppy will just jump at anything so probably <laughs> probably wouldn't detect very well right um i'm curious then so the setup of the game you essentially will have this sort of uh like town structure that you is like your home base right so your auntie has a little a base camp we call okay. it and that's where where you start and she'll teach you how to go go feed the bird first and go do a little hunting and you come back and then as the course of the game they'll There'll be other hubs, like a small town that and there's a shopkeeper that'll make little trinkets and items for your bird. <laughs> but he wants something in exchange, right? Running some missions or go fight the sand wolf because he wants this rare sand wolf uh, bone, you know, things like that. And so when you're going out on whether they be missions or maybe to hunt a specific creature or something mm-hmm. like that, what what is the, can you give people a sense of what that gameplay actually is like? Sure. So it's a first person game. Mm-hmm. So as Ara, you have a melee weapon. 
um, that you end up getting in the beginning of the game. And that melee weapon has a whip attachment. So you can use that for bonking on robots, <laughs> close range. And then it's like a, it's like an energy whip. It's kind of like Bullet Storm, if you remember that oh, game. Okay. So you can use it to swing at items that are at sort of medium range distance. For anything farther away, that's where the Falcon comes in. So Falcon's your long range way to touch mm. the world. So you can, we have a bird pointer, essentially. Right? You <laughs> point it a, a cliff vegetable that's up high up. And then she'll go and fetch it. And you whistle for her back, she brings it back. Okay. And there are drones that are flying around near the combat areas that are too high for you to reach. So you send the Falcon at it. She'll knock it out of the sky. You get up to him and bonk on him with the, the melee weapon. So there's there's balance between what the bird can do and what the player can do. And we try to um, show that off as much as possible in the game. Okay, very cool. Are there is it sort of a structure where there will be multiple missions open to you at once, or is it very like go from this mission to that mission to experience this? It opens up. So it's initially it'll be like, oh, go take care of this refinery. Okay, mm-hmm. now it opens up and go to this town, and, and so you can go wherever you want as long as you have the equipment to get past that area. Oh, okay, be, gotcha. You know. So a little bit Metroidvania. A little bit, but you know, there, it's, a, it's a small game. It's, it's an, not, yeah, yeah. It, not some crazy castle right. that we're going through. Right, yeah. right, right. Uh, I'm a little curious on the story front. So mm-hmm. uh, story-wise, you have the writer from 80 Days? I'm yeah, Meg. Sure. And then we have another writer, Kaz, who um, she worked. She works on uh, Ubisoft Montreal right now. Oh, okay. And, yeah. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about the inspiration for the story itself? Because I, I think like a lot of people do see, you know, like the fun bird gifts and everything. But yeah. there, there is when I heard uh, initially what the story pitch was and everything, yeah. I was like, oh, wow, there's a lot more going on in here. Right. So um, I grew up in Sri Lanka, which was a British colony mm-hmm. for 150 years. And it was a uh, Dutch colony before that. And so I've always kind of wanted to explore the idea of telling a story from the colonized perspective, mm-hmm. which we see a lot of Western games. It's from like, OK, stranger in a strange land. You come in like Monster Hunter, for mm-hmm. example, and it's it's you're essentially becoming a colonizer. So we wanted to kind of flip that around a little bit. And Meg, um, she grew up in India, lives in London. So we okay. kind of we talked a lot about that. And um, when I pitched the story for her initially, she made it good. She made it good, by the way. So <laughs> yeah, she she helped spruce it up. Oh no, she she did a great job. And I also wanted to show off a South Asian auntie in a game. <laughs> so her like a tough. Auntie, they'll make you feel guilty for all your life choices. So, is it, do that. <laughs> that's exactly what we need. And yeah, I, I actually love it. Is it? Um, are those characters voiced and everything? In the They're game? partially voiced. Partially. Okay. Um, so we have, if you've seen some of the footage in the B-roll, um, we have this conversation system. It's a, mm-hmm. essentially like a, a a cylinder of choices. You can spin it around in VR oh, okay. uh, for, for for your conversation trees and things like that. So there's choices in, in 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 these conversations and and the story as you go so uh obviously given the history that both you and meg that you've mentioned have was it pulling a lot from personal experiences or from familial experiences or were you doing a lot of research as well we, we did some research and it's, i mean it's it's sort of the idea the setting is if british colonization never stopped what would it look like in an intergalactic way oh, okay you know so it's like now it's more privatized instead of sending people they're sending these automated drones and, yeah. and so it's so we kind of want to explore that, and they're collecting resources to make iPhone parts, you know, <laughs> or whatever that is in the equivalent in, uh, in the future. In the future, yeah, you know. on a sci-fi futuristic a sci-fi desert planet, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I'm a little curious. Obviously, you want to strike a balance of 
being able to convey these really important and like very mm-hmm. serious themes with yeah. also, you know, the fun of putting a hat on a baby bird right. or a big bird and making him a baby. Yeah. Uh, are, were there any difficulties in finding that balance or was it not really a worry? I mean, I think, you know, we, we talked about a lot about that. So the tone of the game mm-hmm. and even in dire situations, people still have comedy and still have, you know, find, find a way to live through it. So, we, uh, you know, we're trying to strike a balance between some serious points in the story and some more lighthearted moments, too. Yeah. I mean, the the base setup is this bonding situation of you bonding with this with this uh, pet, but it's also like our figuring out who she is and reconnecting with her culture too, because she she comes from a long line of falcon hunters, and that sort of died off, and all the oh, falcons okay. have died off because of, of the colonizers. So it's kind of reconnecting with the world and her planet, and and you know having a bird that you can pet and yeah. put hats on. So that's it's a good balance i i always find like the most the best dramatic stories always have those moments of levity like yeah. breaking bad would not be as good as it was if it didn't have those funny weird moments as well right and i think best comedies also have tragic moments too yes right? yeah absolutely uh moving a little bit back toward the gameplay and the vr aspect of mm-hmm. it obviously uh you mentioned the team has worked on multiple vr titles before what were there any particular challenges with falcon age in adapting it for vr or any lessons you learned from the last few projects that helped the process of developing for Falcon Age. Right. So, I mean, it started as a VR prototype. And one thing we wanted to make sure with this game was that we offered a lot of options. I mean, PlayStation is, what, two years plus old now? And we looked at a yeah. bunch of games. And uh, I'm on PSVR Reddit a lot and looking <laughs> at what the community wants. And a lot of people just want options. Mm-hmm. Um, I still get motion sick. Okay. So our default control scheme is teleportation and blinks and things like that. One thing we're doing interesting, like uh, for the conversation system, you can rotate your wrist like you're opening a door to do make the selection choices for the conversation. When you teleport, you can hold the button down and rotate your wrist to essentially change your landing angle. Oh, interesting. Which I haven't seen in another game, but now that I we played with it enough in Falcon Age, I miss it. So it's like you can <laughs> you can before you know you can essentially point somewhere in the world. It'll draw a spot where you land, and then you rotate your wrist to, as you let go of the button, the direction you face. Okay. Which is, yeah, that definitely helpful. Sense. No, absolutely. Okay. So, yeah, yeah if you, you're looking west yeah. and you still point, but you can make it look east or north or right. something like that. And as okay. soon as you teleport, now you're facing the other way. So that we found that was useful when, when you get into combat situations or oh, okay. someone behind you. And yeah. Yeah. You can also point the move controller behind over your shoulder and point, and it'll do a 180 real quick. Oh, that's too. really cool. Um, so that's... So we have the teleportation and blinks, and then you can turn on, essentially turn that off, and it'll behave like FPS controls. Okay. So you can smooth move, smooth rotate. You can do snap rotations. Um, there's runs. We have all sorts of options. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But comfort options were a very big deal yes. for the team, assuming. Yeah. yeah we, uh, a few people from the Beyond Facebook group had asked, like, are there comfort settings? Because yeah. I still get motion sick on yeah. things. And- now, I've been making VR game for three years, and I, I don't force myself to not get sick so I, I, I feel like it's important that one of us on the team still sensitive to it yeah so as we're designing for comfort for for, for a lot of people that still get motion sickness you can still test against that exactly. and everything yeah. yeah it and the game though will also be fully functional outside of vr and so someone who just has a ps4 can play and i assume that's just more the standard fps controls right but. yeah i mean it, so we have i think three or four different characters i'm gonna say i'm gonna do air quotes here okay. character uh, setups <laughs> where in VR, you have your two hands, you have you have a pouch, your inventory on your right hip, and then you have your baton on your left hip, so you can look down and you know put stuff in your pouch or pick up your um, baton. In non-VR, we have a fully drawn character model. So, okay. so you have your arms, your legs, and you run around, you can see your, the character's arms and legs, and, uh, and then the, all the Falcon interactions are animated. 
instead of you know motion control. Mm-hmm. You know. So we do whole different control schemes. Uh, okay. Was it obviously you were saying it started out as a VR prototype? Mm-hmm. But has that been a hard transition to also make it fully playable in just non VR mode? Because so no, not really. Because the non VR we did pretty early on. Because as we're laying out levels, it was mm-hmm. faster doing non VR. Uh, okay. I was like, well, we should just try this as an actual game mode, give it to the fan, you know, to players, and um, we did it early. So we've had you know. We've been working on it for 15, 16 months now. Yeah, so. it's been part of the main development yeah. process. I think it would be really, really difficult if we were to, say, add it now. Tacked on. Yeah, because yeah. every interaction in the world has to know, am I in VR? Am I non-VR? Am I using a DualShock? Am I using move controllers and, and anything in between? So. Basically developing almost like two different yeah. games or at least yeah. like having the environment respond to right. them that so way. So we made the tools early enough that we were able to design with that in mind. Okay, that's awesome. And you're mentioning I love it because we do it too every day to see what people are talking about. You've you know like check out the PSVR and the, those sorts of subreddits. What mm-hmm. do you see people asking for a lot these days in VR? Like what are you seeing that's really striking a note with VR fans? Oh, I mean certainly the customization options, but like new experiences, mm-hmm. things they haven't seen. I think I think I've seen a lot of like similar type uh, things in VR. Then we're starting to see something else. The Falcon thing uh, struck a chord with people. They're like, "Oh, I, that makes a lot of sense." <laughs> having a pet, and then the scale change, I think, is really interesting. Um, but um, recently, like stuff like uh, Beat Saber, which I think is is a phenomenal, great example of a, of a good VR game. Though, like, that's something you can't really. I don't think you got the same feeling in non VR. So. Yeah, yeah. I, I still I play Beat Saber probably every day for at least like ten fifteen minutes. Yeah. That feeling that you have inside is just so different from what. You yeah, know. and just the motion you know, of the whole thing. Of everything coming towards yeah, you, yeah. yeah. How, um, have you done a lot, have you had to do a lot, excuse me, to combat your motion sickness with the game, with Falcon Age specifically, or has, like, the movement speeds and all of that been easy to figure out? Yeah, it's been pretty easy to figure out. Again, it's, like, our third game, so... You've had uh, practice. We've had, we've had a little bit of practice, and yeah. it's... I mean, that's one of the things, you know, the thing with VR development that's different than regular game development is regular game development, you can just throw everything in the game and start optimizing near the end. Mm-hmm. In VR, like, if, if it's not running good frame rate, you're <laughs> just going to get yourself sick. Yeah. And you can't do that if you're doing that every single day for, you know, months on end. So, so we end up having to optimize pretty early on and test things properly. So. And obviously, you know, we're still looking for Falcon Age to finally be launching and everything. But mm-hmm. as you look ahead to at the VR space in general, we're mm-hmm. seeing things like, you know, the Oculus Quest have intended to be cord free and everything yes. like that and obviously whatever may come with psvr and evolutions and that how do you see the space in general as a developer within it i still think there's a big barrier of people wanting to put stuff on their heads mm-hmm. so if we can you know getting rid of the wires like i have you know i have all the devices at home <laughs> and switching between them is still it's kind of a pain right yeah. you have one pc and you want to switch between an oculus and a, and a vive it's, mm-hmm. still, it's still a lot of work so um, I have, I've had a chance to play with the Quest, and it's really neat. Um, just like the Gear VR, where you, you can share it. It's a shareable experience. Yes. Or you can just take the headset off and give it to somebody without too much effort. So so I'm really excited for something like Quest and see what else, you know, going wireless is, is awesome. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully we can see that uh, continuing forward. I was not really a VR believer six months ago. Like yeah. I wasn't really playing. I didn't do anything. And then I played three or four experiences in PSVR and was like, oh, I need to do this all the time. And Falcon Age has definitely been one of the experiences I've most been looking forward to. So. What, what were the other ones that you played? Uh, I played Astrobot. Yes. I played Astrobot, Beat Saber, and ooh, something else within like a week span. Beats, and just, yeah. I played um, Firewall as well, yeah. which, which yeah, yeah. worked those, super well. Is it? All three of those that came out, I mean, for PSVR Rails yes. recently, and they yeah. were great experiences. Yeah, it really showed me the potential of the unique kind of experiences mm-hmm. you can have in VR and that personal connection that you can have with the world. 
uh, that yeah. I, you just don't always get when you're looking at the screen. Astrobot's really interesting because unless you played it, it's hard. It's hard to describe why it's interesting, but yes. when, you, when you when you jump in a platformer in VR, it's like you can see how accurate things are, and you can you know gauge depth. Yes, yeah, much it, better. It's yeah. so fascinating to be able to judge the distance of things, to have that world unfurl around you, and yeah. needing to navigate. Oh, my face is the camera, so if the little astrobot needs to go around me, I have to physically move around and make sure he's not falling off the side of a thing. Right, and then looking around for and you know the encouragement to look around. And explore yes, the environment. yeah, the, they're so smart about hiding little things on the side. So if you peek around, you can actually find something. Yeah, I, I love that use of space, and obviously having to program for both PSVR and non-PSVR. I assume, did you try to integrate that sort of thing into the into Falcon Age as well? Right. So, um, you know, where so in the game, you know, the bird is hovering around you, so you can walk around, and she'll essentially stay in an invisible leash around you. Uh, okay. Um, did you ever play Journey? Yes. Yeah. Do you do you remember the sort of the it was like a glowing effect when you had somebody else that was near you? Yes. So we kind of did the same thing. We call it the bird minder. Uh, okay. So in VR <laughs> and not. Um, before we added that, it was really hard to figure out, oh, where's the bird? Is she okay? Is she getting hurt? Mm. Is she stuck somewhere? You know, so we, we added that and that works. So in the VR version, we had to actually have a depth. So it's not like stuck to your face or something. Of so, course. Yeah. And actually every, every UI element we add, it's like, there's a version that's flat. <laughs> there's a version that's offset in VR for comfort. So mm-hmm. it's not like if it's, if things are too close, like a HUD, if it's too close to your face uh, for too long and you're looking you're trying to look at something close versus something in the distance it's it's an eye strain yeah yeah so so we're trying to you know offset those those are a lot of the sort of the ui ux concerns were a lot of the the work for doing the vr non-vr okay and then also uh height distances are you standing when you're talking to this character sitting Mm -hmm. you know where's the camera what's the expectation what's the reach distance and things like that so there's so much more that like it feels like you have to think about when you're programming mm-hmm. for VR. That just yeah. blows my mind that any of these experiences are workable, let alone great as they can be. I'm amazed any game that shifts VR. Yeah, or that's not. very like true. It's a yeah. lot of work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At that point, so. one one of the fortunate things about like getting to do what I do is talk to people like you and yeah. learn that. Oh my God, the thing that I can play for six hours that I'd be like, oh, that didn't work too great. Took dozens of hours to get slightly right. <laughs> right. It's like incredible that things work at all, like you say. I have mad respect for any game developer that can finish a game and ship it. It's amazing. It's Uh, very impressive. And I'm glad that Falcon Age is close to shipping. Like you said, we don't have a date just yet, but hopefully do pretty soon. Uh, Thank you so much for joining me. Oh, thanks for having me. Thank you. Awesome. And we're back. Thank you, Jonathan, so much for that amazingly thoughtful Great work, Jonathan. interview. Thank you. I, t- I tried really hard <laughs> in this very same room. Moving on. You're such a delight. <laughs> <laughs> uh, moving on, I want to do another memory card this week. Uh, first of all, thank you so much. A bunch of people wrote in to, you can write into beyond at IGN.com if you want your memory card written or read on the show. Excuse me. We had a bunch of responses there. I had a few on Twitter as well. So thank you so much for just from the first week people writing in. Yeah, that's really awesome. That made me really happy to see that. Yeah, me too. And again, Brian, thank you so much for sharing. Yeah, of course. One with us. I'm glad it, k- it kicked off and a bunch of people are into it now. Yeah, uh, we're going to have uh, one of the fans who wrote in. We're going to read one of theirs and then I'll also give one of mine. Uh, I wanted to, would either of you like to read it? I can read it. You guys have good reading voices. Uh, yeah, if you want to read, Dylan wrote into us at beyond.ign.com with his memory card. Dylan Evans wrote, Near the end of 2006, fresh out of high school, my first real long-term relationship was about to end. Badly. That November for my birthday, I received an Xbox 360 from my girlfriend. Just a few weeks later, she revealed she was seeing someone else behind my back and demanded I give back the 360 so she could give it to the new slash other guy. What? 
Oof. That sucks on that so is, many levels. I, I was no doubt heartbroken, and with no girlfriend and no gaming, I got to a pretty lonely place for a few months. Boredom set in hard. My friend urged me to go get a new Xbox 360 and get out of my own head, but I was set on distancing myself from the past, and I needed something new. So that February, I took my income tax money and bought a brand new shiny PS3 and two games, Resistance, Fall of Man, and Uncharted. Those oh games God. are two of my favorites, and they are the catalyst for my 2007 turnaround. Turned into, a, turned into a great gaming year for me, and I never looked back. The Nathans saved the day. That is so awesome. I love that. Yeah, that PlayStation saved. Man, that that's like I love that. Like he, I love he, that it's also like the worst marketing for Xbox. Yeah, but in like the most confusing way. You're like, who is? Did she? He, she did that, but the Xbox. It was complicit. The the X is Xbox, yeah. Yeah. No, there was this girl in high school I was like really close with and like I thought it was leading to something and the and at the last second I was just like, I am just your friend and I want to hear about your troubles with relationships. Totally screwed up. And she went on a date to go see the movie Titanic with his other dude. Mm. And I still haven't seen Titanic since. <laughs> <laughs> like out of spite and also because it's like four hours long and it's been like 30 years. That's fair. And so I understand that. How he specifically was like, I'm not getting an Xbox because that douche has that Xbox. I'm going to get a, PS, a PS2. Oh, you would associate three. that forever. That yeah. if you bought another Xbox, it would be like, well, it's probably not as good as the other Xbox that, or something. I don't know all the details here, but the, the, that lady gave him I don't know why I called her a lady. Gave him, a lady now. Yeah, she is now. Gave him an Xbox, was like, I'm cheating on you. By the way, I have to take the Xbox back and give it to the guy. That is so bad. Oh, yeah. Don't do that if you're listening. If you're going to break <laughs> up with someone, leave them the con- yeah, console. Yeah, just, at least. It's a nice thing to do. Uh, but Dylan, thank you so much for writing in with that very personal uh, story. I'm very glad uh, the PlayStation was able to light your life yep. up like that. Uh, <laughs> Moving on, I figured I would talk this week since I wanted to do the segment on the show. Uh, so one of the ones, if I can bring it down real quick, uh, in 2009, I've written, so I've written a lot about on the website and talked about a lot on Twitter and other shows like about how my mom was like instrumental in my gaming life. Uh, I play games because she taught me how when mm-hmm. I was a kid, uh, all these things. So my mom passed away when I was 16 in 2009. Uh, I didn't have a PlayStation at the time, but I was interested in it. I had heard all this hype about, you know, Uncharted 2 and all these other games on it. And um, as it was getting toward the end of the year and I was had been a listener to be on for like two years, I think by that point, I was like, you know what? I should probably get a PlayStation because my mom and I played Crash Bandicoot and Spyro and Space Invaders and like all these games on the original PlayStation on PlayStation 2. We played endlessly together. So like PlayStation was always a big part of my life with my mom and our gaming habits, but I didn't have a PlayStation 3 yet. So I bought one, got Uncharted, it was my first Christmas without my mom, got Uncharted 1 and 2, got a few other games, uh, Rock Band, because she and I both loved Guitar Hero and stuff back in the day, got a whole bunch of games, and for that like week between Christmas and New Year's that I had off uh, in high school, I just did not, like my PS3 never shut off. Like it was just playing all these games that I knew like I wouldn't get to share with her, but I, that I knew she would like would have wanted to share. Like yeah. she loved big story-based games. She loved wacky stuff. She loved Naughty Dog, obviously, games. And so like it wasn't having that experience with her, but it was an experience I know she would have wanted me to have in gaming and would have wanted me to be able to share with her at that point. So the start of like my PlayStation 3 life and really how I've gotten so invested in the PlayStation as a group of developers and as a company itself and interested in them really started with that like PlayStation 3 purchase back then. Mm-hmm. Uh, and anyway, that's my story for this week. That's oh, why man. you that's why you belong in this in this chair hosting yeah. the show. I appreciate that. Thank yeah. you. No, it's it's uh, a you're a very good fit. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate that's really that. beautiful. And it's also cool to like, I don't know, 
be able to play PlayStation games and know that you're making your mom proud. <laughs> that's, that's a really awesome, yeah, a really awesome concept. It, I mostly play video games to spite my mother, but you know, that's here mm-hmm. we are. Yeah, I yeah. There was when I told kids in my grammar school that like, oh yeah, my mom and I play games all the time. Like sometimes I'll get from home from school and like I have to tell her to get off the PlayStation so I can play, and they're like, you. Do you play games with your mom? I would just kick her off. I'm like, what? That's what? so mean. No way. Like, yeah, she, the Sims on PlayStation 2, I think she put more hours into than I've ever put into any game. She was just wow. like, so obsessed with it. That's amazing. Yeah, she, she loved that, but she played like everything else. So, yeah, that was the start of my PS3 life was that Christmas. So, Anyway, it's beautiful man. Moving on. Thank you. I Thank appreciate you for sharing it. That. Uh, if you want to share a story with us, funny, sad, weird, whatever, uh, be sure to write into beyond at ign.com with the subject line memory card so I don't accidentally think it's spam or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, we get emails from horse.com to beyond. Sorry. I, I figured. I have uh, a really quick one. Yeah. In high school, I was dating this girl and she out of nowhere gave me a used Xbox 360. <laughs> oh, weird. That's great. Did you enjoy it? You were in high school at the time. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> I, I didn't think about the dude on the other side of that story. <laughs> he had a tax return. I don't think he was in high school. <laughs> Probably. Uh, anyway, again, if you want to write in, beyond at IGN.com. Uh, this week, also, before we wrap up the show, I want to do another segment of Rapid Fire. Uh, these questions came in from followers on Twitter, so thank you so much for right. wrote in. Uh, the first one I want to read is from uh, one of my followers, Scott Lowe, oh. who people may know on the show. Big fan of Scott Lowe. He's been on the show before. Works at Naughty Dog. Works currently. at Naughty Dog. Yeah, small independent fledging studio yeah. working on a, a small new match to puzzle game where a guy and his estranged adopted daughter hopefully meet up. And solve and, puzzles. And play guitar. a match yeah. to puzzle game? Yeah. It's really simple. Yeah. Yeah. You just have to match Joel and Ellie. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Scott Lowe asked, how would you describe your perfect Sunday? Playing any of the great games developed by the fine folks at Naughty Dog. Yeah. There's no finer way to spend a Sunday. I wake up, I have breakfast, I find out the uh, release date for The Last of Us 2, and then that's it. That's the whole day. Thank you so much, Scott. So just tweet that out whenever you can. Just sneak in. Just send it. I know you us. know it. Yeah. So this is your chance to really just do – it might be your last day, but think about the great Sundays that we'll all have on your last day. Blink twice if it's this year. <laughs> Uh, yeah, anyway, I, to actually answer it, I've recently, uh, my girlfriend and I basically will take Sundays to go to a comic book store uh, and to a game store in town, do that, and just walk around for a little bit, maybe yep. have a lunch or something, and then just like relax afterwards, hang out with our pup and reading comics, and it's like yeah, wonderfully peaceful. That's a good one. Enjoy it. Um, I, I hate Sundays as a day because yeah. I'm always just like, oh, Monday's almost here. And I have a wonderful job, so that just says how f- f- miserable I am hurtling through <laughs> life in general, but... Um, no, I don't know. I uh, I like to I like to try to be like productive on Sundays, um, which is tricky. I think there's like a nice feeling of getting everything squared away before the week, which means that I am old now. But I don't know, like batch cooking a bunch of food for lunches and uh, you know tidying the house and making the bed, and then it being like, oh, it's like five o'clock, and uh, I don't have a bunch of crap to do, <laughs> and it feels like starting the week fresh. But uh, going to comic shops is also really good. Having sort of like a lazy Sunday afternoon. Yeah, yeah. I, I cook like crazy on Sundays. Yeah, every week, it's a good and day then. I usually, it's kind of awesome because when I was a kid, I hated Sundays because it meant that all this homework that I hadn't done all week had to get done, like basically before Married with Children started at nine <laughs> or The Simpsons. Um, and now I don't have homework anymore. Like sometimes I'll, I'll do some research on what my week's going to look like on Monday, but Mondays are like weirdly slow at IGN. Yeah, which and I think makes them worse. It does make know? them worse because, because then Tuesdays are insane. Yeah. yeah. Tuesdays yeah. are always nuts around here. No, the, uh, working at IGN is basically like it's, it's like sleeping and then 
immediately running into a marathon. <laughs> like you don't you don't get to warm up or anything like that. Like Mondays are just kind of like, oh, what are we doing mm-hmm. this week? Oh, let's check out some news. Yeah, but it's funny how like school does kind of beat in that like that yep. mentality of like, uh oh, we're in trouble. Like I we have a cartoon job where we show up and argue about video games, and mm-hmm. it's like. I still get that weird like Sunday night anxiety of like, oh, it's school tomorrow. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it still sticks with me too. And it's that thing of like, yeah, I love this job. And yeah. it's even still Sundays, I'm like, can I have like two more days? I know. Uh, moving on, Carlos Felipe Marulanda asked, uh, also Billy Wright sort of asked a similar question. With the Take-Two rumor shot down, do you think it's a good time for Sony to invest in another first-party studio? And if so, is there any existing studio you'd want them to get? Uh, just to recap really quickly, there was this weird rumor that Sony had was thinking of purchasing take two at a very high level mm-hmm. uh, it turned out to be a total misquote without sources from an analyst who is sort of speaking about conjecture that a bunch of other analysts had about maybe they might be thinking about this based on the company structure and everything but there was no actual source for that there weren't like high level board meetings someone leaked into it was a total miscommunication that another site misreported another analyst mm-hmm. uh, so that messed up that said do you see them? Do you think Sony needs to invest in another major first-party studio at this point? Or no. do you think their stable is pretty? No, they've got the they've got the market cornered on third-party being the third-party platform of choice or whatever. You know, like that they have the most people have PS4s right now. They've got a solid lineup of first-party stuff going on. It just doesn't doesn't seem to make any sense. You know, I would love to see them buy um, a smaller studio to kind of churn out more like sort of. Edith Finch style games, you know, like I think the thing is, though, is like there's this expectation with them now to do all these gigantic AAA games. Um, But the reality is a bunch of those people ship their games in the last year and probably won't be shipping new games for at least a few years. So uh, I think the way they have it scheduled out right now is really cool because like everyone every couple months, there's like another one and another one. But I have a feeling it's going to get pretty quiet after Days Gone for a little while. It's so. really cool, though. I'm I'm so excited to see what comes next, you know, because mm-hmm. it's going to be you know something's going to come out swinging. And it's, yeah. I mean, even yeah. right now, there's like there's Days Gone, Ghost of Tsushima, Death Stranding, and Last of Us Part Two, and, mm-hmm. and those are like the big ones. And, and then whatever, and then it's just big question marks, yeah. which is always the most fun. Is whatever Gorilla's to... doing, whatever yeah. Insomniac's doing, yeah. Um, I mean, Sony Santa Monica, presumably Sony, yep. God of War Two at some yeah. point. But who yeah. knows what San Diego could be working on mm-hmm. after MLB the Show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who knows? Uh, and moving on, last but not least, Brandon Murphy asked, what's the biggest hole in your gaming background? For me, this is Brandon. It's Assassin's Creed. I own them all, but have played only a few hours total. Uh, for me, the one that immediately comes to mind is just Blizzard as an entity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I have never spent any significant time with the Blizzard game. I like appreciate the lore and like, world building of Overwatch or something like that, but I just have never invested in any of their games. Or they've never really spoken to me. Does your girlfriend play video games? Yes. Yeah. You guys should play Diablo. Okay. Yeah, Diablo, like the the most recent ones on PS4 and Switch and stuff like that, fantastic co-op games. There's lore there if you want to dig around and look for it, but they're mostly just like really fun couch co-op games. Cool. Super fun. Yeah, I would, say, I would say the same as uh, Blizzard, definitely. I've got like plenty. I've got plenty of holes in it. The, there's a lot of games out there. Uh, it's weird though because I was I was really into Warcraft one and two when they first came out on PC and mm-hmm. I screwed around with them and I really liked them because it was like playing with with miniatures mm. and then something shifted. I always loved like the weird the cutscenes were like kind of claymationy almost and sort of goofy and then uh, I've, I've I've been like really unable to appreciate anything they make on like either a gameplay or like uh, aesthetic level really mm-hmm. like and I, I actually I think Overwatch is the one that I like the look of the most but mm-hmm. again I don't really take the time to play it so yeah mm-hmm. um, and. Oh, do you have another? Or? I'm trying to think. Probably Halo for me. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. There's like, I played the first one a bit and I played the second one a bit and then that train just left the station mm. and I just like, I 
it's got. I, I think I, I played a little bit of Halo Wars, but like the Master Chief Collection is like this massive collection of games that I don't have really a personal connection to. Gotcha. Um, yeah. And I was on Podcast Unlocked last week, cheating on you guys, uh, with uh, Brandon Tyrell and Ryan McCaffrey. And um, yeah, it's really it's really cool that that's a that's a collection of things that is like perfectly in touch with the fan base and it keeps growing and they keep working on it. But for me, it's just like it's a big collection of stuff that I'm I have mm. no connection to. I would say a lot of a lot of GameCube and Xbox stuff because mm-hmm. um, I just wasn't I don't know I, I didn't have either of those when they were out and it was like I guess I, I didn't have a PS2 either but it was like it was just sort of the time when I was broken in high school and wasn't really focused on gaming and yeah. doing a little bit on PC but it was sort of just like you know I, like I I don't know there's like a there's like a bunch of sort of required things in certain periods of my life and it's I don't know games are immensely time consuming and so is real life so. yeah it, it you'll will always have some blind mm-hmm. spots even and somebody as, yep. will always be there in the comments saying you should feel ashamed of yourself exactly uh thank you all so much for those questions for rapid fire before we wrap up the show just a little bit of house cleaning uh especially now that we've gone back to audio if you're listening to us on apple podcasts or on stitcher or somewhere where you can rate and subscribe to us please do leave us a review give us five stars one star if you hate the sound of my voice uh please How subscribe dare you. yeah please don't but if you do i understand uh and just be sure to support the show in that way. It's especially important as we've gone back to audio being such a significant aspect of what we do now here with the show. Uh, also, if you have questions, be sure to write them into beyond at IGN.com. If they're questions, write in with rapid fire in the subject headline. If they are for memory card, put memory card in the subject head. And usually we'll also ask for questions either on Facebook or on our Twitters. Uh, and other than that, yeah, thank you all so much. This has been Beyond episode 583. And we'll uh, talk to you guys next week. Beyond. 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 I want to say welcome to the Grand Canyon, America's mouth, and it's wide open for speaking.